1: oxford exxon podcast it is monday may the 18th hope you all are doing well as we get started on another week of podcast here in uh month three of the great quarantine 2020 we have content up at rebelgrove.com uh, i have my 10 weekend thoughts that's brought to you by harry alexander Uh, You can get in touch with Harry at harryalexander.com. H-A at harryalexander.com. So that's up. We're working on some other stuff as well. We had coverage throughout the weekend of Ole Miss. It's uh, landing the signature of Romello White, the Arizona State grad transfer. Uh, Zach Barry has a story on uh, rebelgrove.com. I have a column about it. Uh, Zach and I posted a uh, soft verbal podcast presented by Dead Soxie, so that's up as well. So a lot of content. Up at Rebelgrove.com, we'll have more for you as the week progresses. As week progresses, I should say. Uh, let me tell you about the Oxford Exxon right now. At the Oxford Exxon, we've been telling you this for a while. You need to download the Speed Pass Plus app, and uh, you can pay without having to touch the pump or the card reader. It's safer. Obviously, uh, during the pandemic, get your gas there at the Oxford Exxon. Also, suggest that you drop into the Oxford Exxon. Great uh, beer, snack, soda selection. Uh, lunch get the uh, get the ribs fantastic you'll love them make for an easy night of uh, give your oven a break give uh, give yourself a break cooking for the family and uh, get the ribs from the oxford exxon you can also run next door to the oxford crystal it's uh delivery options are there as well as the uh, drive through uh, Uber Eats, Grubhub, Waiter, DoorDash, all of that. It's open uh, for drive through and delivery. They've got the new Hangover Crystal Bacon, Egg, and Cheese Crystal. It's available all day for $1.69, and they use fresh cracked eggs. Speaking of, the fresh cracked egg biscuits, bacon, egg, and cheese, sausage, egg, and cheese, all of that at the uh, Crystal. You can obviously get the Scrambler Breakfast Bowls, and they have the new Nashville Hot Chick as part of the Pick 5 for five fifty-five, that's at the Oxford Crystal right next door to the Oxford Exxon. I'm coming to you from the uh, Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote, and the rest is up to you. You can shop it around, or you can do what I've done And that's hop into a Clark Ford. You'll love the product. You'll love the service after the sale. They do a great job. They go above and beyond. You'll experience that once you call the number 662-257-1900. Today on the show, kind of a little bit of a Chicago flair, uh, which is fitting uh, the night after the final episode of The Last Dance, the uh, Michael Jordan documentary on ESPN uh, celebrating or chronicling, I should say, the 1997-98 Chicago Bulls. Uh, Michael Jordan's sixth and final NBA title—an amazing documentary. I loved it. Um, so we talked today uh, with Dan Rowan. He is the uh, sports director and weekend sports, weekday sports anchor at WGN uh, News in Chicago. Covered the Bulls. He got to, actually got to Chicago right about the same time Michael Jordan did in 1984, and he's been there ever since. He began his career in Champaign, Illinois, where he was there for seven years. Then he's been in Chicago since February of 1984. So he's seen a lot in Chicago, including that Bulls run. We talk about the Bulls. We talk about uh, the Cubs and the White Sox, Major League Baseball's planned return. We talk some NFL as well, talk a little bit of college football, his thoughts about some of the Big Ten schools and some of the mixed messages coming out of some of the Big Ten schools about college football in the fall. So there's a lot there I think you'll really enjoy. It's about 40 minutes with uh, Dan, and then I taped a beer garden last week with Brett Taylor. He is with Bleacher Nation, covers the Cubs for Bleacher Nation. He also is a host of the On Waveland podcast with Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney of The Athletic. You can get that podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We talked about Major League Baseball's plans to return, uh, which is – very much in the news uh, here in, in the last uh, few days and it's going to be a decision has to be reached here pretty soon. So we talk about that as well with Brett. Uh, I know not everyone listens to the beer garden. It, it was a really good interview. I think you'll uh, you'll really enjoy it. So we're putting it on the back end of today's Oxford Exxon podcast after Dan. So we'll talk to Dan and uh, we'll talk to Brett and they both will join us on the rafters music and food hotline rafters on the water is open It's located at the Sardis Marina, so come experience outdoor dining unlike any place in North Mississippi. The menu offers shrimp and Mississippi catfish platters along with gourmet burgers and Louisiana-styled po'boys served on Leidenheimer French bread. They're open Wednesdays and Thursdays from 3.30 to 10, and then Friday through Sunday from 11 a.m. until 10 p.m. They have a newly expanded picnic-styled dining area, and they have signature appetizers including uh, Zydeco shrimp, crawfish egg rolls, uh, live music is coming as soon as the governor allows it, and they offer a variety of fun cocktails, including their famous house frozen margaritas, and they have to-go and curbside pickup available as well, 662-712-6162. Now let's go to the Rafters Music and Food Hotline and Dan Rowan of WGN in Chicago. Dan, thanks so much for spending some time with us. I- I'll start here. I- I'll ask you about COVID in Chicago, and I want to talk about the Cubs some and all that, but I, I-, I saw you yesterday. Uh, ESPN did the the final two episodes of, of the last dance. But before that, they showed the entire thing started at noon central, went all the way to 10 o'clock. It was incredible. I pretty much watched the whole, <laughs> I pretty much watched the whole damn thing again and I saw you throughout it. So you're a guy that lived it. I mean, for people on the outside, like me who remember Jordan, of course, but we weren't there all the time. I mean, I I thought the documentary was just incredible. It was fascinating. I loved it. I hated to see it end for someone like you who lived it, who saw it day to day, year to year. Did it live up to your expectations? Did you learn anything new?
3: I learned a little bit, but I wouldn't say a whole lot. I mean, we were with those guys every single day. So, um, In terms of information, there wasn't a whole lot that was new, but um, it was certainly remindful of all the things that we had been through with them and all the things we'd covered over the years, and uh, it was great, uh, in a sense, Neil, to be reminded of just how insanely competitive jordan was which we all knew i mean i've played a little golf with him so i know from my own standpoint what he's like but uh i'm telling you uh i don't think there's ever been anybody quite like him before or since and if you watch some of the stuff that took place on the floor some of the things he did with the basketball and you get in the middle of somebody's argument about who's the best player of all time I think that question uh, was answered for a lot of people over the last five weeks or so.
1: Yeah, I've told this story. So my son is 13, and so he's grown up in the LeBron James era. And And I perfectly understood what he was saying. He came in one day, and uh, he said, "He said, Dad, who, who's, who's better, LeBron or, or Michael Jordan? And I said, Jordan. And he just kind of looked at me, and he said, who's better, Kobe or or Jordan? And I said, Kobe's really good, but it's Jordan. And he he finally said it. He goes, I don't see how. And this was before the documentary started. (laughs) And I I thought, you know, if you're 13 and you never saw Jordan, that's a really fair statement to make when you you evaluate on its surface. And the most fun thing I've had with this, Dan, I'm 50 years old. So, you know, I mean, Jordan was – you know, we're not, not too far apart in age. And so I, I, I remember watching his career through college and everything else. The, the most fun thing for me has been seeing this through his eyes. And he goes up to his room and he watches it by himself. He doesn't want to watch it with me. He wants to watch it his way, which is, co- <laughs> is cool. And he came down last night at 10 o'clock and he goes, that was awesome. <laughs> and I said, I said, so who was the best? And he goes, Jordan. And I'm like, yeah, and it, it's, it's kind of so cool to see it through a kid's eyes, you know.
3: Well, I, yeah, I think, like I said, I think that question has been settled, at least for now.
1: You, uh, you, and, and he got to Chicago at roughly the same time, right?
3: We did. I came uh, in February of 1984, and then he was drafted in June. So you know, I've I've told the story a couple of times, but and it's not a big deal, but. Once they started working out, and they worked out in a crappy little gym on the far north side. It was called Angel Guardian School. It was just a grade school gym. That's where they practiced. And it was far away from the Chicago Stadium. I, don't, I have no idea why they did that. But anyway, so they are in there practicing, and he's a rookie. And, you know, I'm like the only reporter in there. It's not like people are all over these guys. And Kevin Lockery was the coach. So I'm hanging around and practice ends and I go up to, to Kevin to grab him for a minute. And he says, he goes, I'm happy to talk to you. He goes, but that guy over there, that's the guy you want to talk to. You don't want to be talking to him. And he had just started practicing with these guys. I mean, this is like a weekend of practice. And, um, of course they'd seen the Olympics and they'd seen him play Carolina and they knew, uh, in at least some kind of a broad sense, what they were getting into with Michael. But, uh, I don't think anybody had any clue how things were going to turn out from that point.
1: Cuz the Bulls were not that big of a story at at that point. When when you got there, I mean, look, obviously it's an NBA franchise, but they weren't drawing, they weren't doing anything, they weren't competitive. I mean, that's I mean, on, on the surface when you say that as the only media person that's at an NBA training camp practice, that's that's almost flabbergasting. but they were so off the radar that at at that particular time that I'm not all that surprised.
3: Yeah, they were they a were story, all right, but in a negative way. I yeah. mean, they were not a good team, for one thing, and they were, I uh, don't want to really overgeneralize it, but they really they had a bunch of bad guys on that team, you know, guys that cared a lot more about partying and all that kind of stuff than they did about winning basketball games. And uh, they, needed, uh, they needed Jordan or somebody like him to come in there and, and try to help them change the culture. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, he told the story, uh, in the documentary about walking into the hotel room in Peoria and all the guys were in there, uh, doing lines of cocaine and smoking pot and a bunch of girls in there uh, before a preseason game. And Michael walked in the door and walked right back out. And, uh, eventually the worst part of that group was weeded out and, uh, it didn't take them long with him to become competitive. It took them a while to get over the top, but uh, once he got there, they were pretty much competitive right from the jump.
1: That team became a, a, a rock star group, if you will. I mean, it was the Beatles traveling around. You traveled with them some from things I've read. What was that like?
3: Uh, crazy. I mean, you just had to shake your head at it. Uh, in fact, it was brought out a little bit in the documentary, but I've, remember one game uh, we were traveling to Atlanta they played at home on a Friday night and the game went kind of long and we were on the plane and we didn't get into Georgia until maybe three o'clock in the morning and another half an hour to get to the hotel and when we got to the hotel there were like 300 people outside at three thirty in the morning just to get a glimpse of of Jordan. I mean, that's the way it was. And it was that way every night in every city. So when you look at that uh, from uh, Michael's perspective, I mean, you can see where he'd be worn down. And, you know, he was asked the question about winning eight championships had he not stepped away to play baseball there for a couple of years. And really, he said, he said, I don't see how I could have done it uh, without those two years that kind of decompress. He said, we never would have gotten eight championships. It was just too much. And that was all part of it, all the notoriety and the fame. I don't think, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say he didn't enjoy some of that and reap the benefits of a lot of it, but uh, it would get old after a while, I'm sure.
1: Did you sense in the, in the year leading up to that third championship, did you sense that something was amiss that, that he might be preparing to step away? How surprised were you by that, that story the night that it broke?
3: Well, there was a lot happening. I mean, uh, Krause had already said that Phil Jackson was not going to come back and coach and Michael had already said, I'm not going to play for anybody, but Phil Jackson. So, you know, you didn't, it, it wasn't too hard to connect the dots there. So you kind of knew what was going on. Plus the, the NBA had a player strike the following season and that, you know, kind of threw things off kilter again. And, uh, I I still think there were a lot of people that held out hope that Michael would change his mind and come back and play. But as the summer wore on and we ran into him, I ran into him on the golf course a couple of times. And you could kind of tell that he was ready to pack it in for a while. Um, But I also always thought he would come back and try and play again. I thought it would be with the Bulls after they'd retooled a little bit. Uh, But he wound up going to Washington. Crazy stuff. I mean, he was somewhat critical of Doug Collins when he was the coach and then when he went to Washington he almost hand picked Doug to be his coach. And Doug and I played college basketball together so I've known Doug for a long time and great guy, brilliant basketball mind and uh he and Jordan were uh kind of two of a kind, they were both maniacal about winning.
1: If there's no baseball strike, does he does he stick it stick around with the White Sox a little longer and try to make it to the major leagues? Your- um in your opinion? Yeah,
3: I think, yeah, I think he would have stuck it out for a bit longer. Um, and once that kind of dried up because of the strike, uh, you know, he obviously turned back to basketball. You have to, and you're like him. I mean, you have to to hone that competitive edge somewhere, right? And that's, that's what he was doing with baseball. It was a huge challenge for him. He was getting a little better. Uh, I know the coaches, uh, Kirk Champion was, I think, his manager and Birmingham and uh, a lot of the guys said they thought that with time he would have made it to the major leagues but you know it was 31 years old Uh, he's not going to get that much better that quickly and I I I was fairly certain that you know while it was great for him and um, I'm sure he enjoyed it and it was great for the White Sox I don't think he was going to make it that far I I think basketball was always stuck in the back of his head somewhere and and the strike just kind of uh, made things move along a little more quickly.
1: What was he like to local guys like you? I mean I'm sure with as that as the winning progressed as that era progressed all the national people you know descended on Chicago routinely so the, it it was a, a circus a lot but guys like you who had been around in those early years did, did did he did he pay any special attention to guys like you?
3: I would say special but he was you know he was always great. Uh, with me i i I never had an issue with michael jordan over anything in fact um that i've told this to before too over the last few weeks but um they had a charity event they had a bowling tournament they had every year it was right down the street from where they practiced in deerfield illinois and i was invited to participate in it so i got there a little early and i was just sitting in the bar having a beer and michael showed up early and in these days, you know, it's like no entourage. He just drives in, walks in. So he sits down and we just shot the breeze for about 20 minutes talking about golf and basketball and stuff. And, and uh, then went out and did the charity thing. And, and I was thinking, you know, in recent days how that never, ever could happen nope. today. Nope. I mean, he's got 10 guys with him every time he goes somewhere. It's just not going to happen. And he always ran a basketball camp at uh, Elmhurst College, which is in my hometown, Elmhurst. And uh, when he decided he was going to come back and play basketball the second time with Washington, um, I was at the camp and I had a camera out there and it was the last day of the camp. And of course, he wasn't doing any media, but we figured we'd go out there and hang out. So, you know what he did? He wound up. Calling me and another one of my colleagues with his camera into a little office, just the five of us were in there, and he kind of spilled the beans on coming back. He said, I'm ready to play, and uh, so we got a little scoop from him on that one. I think that was kind of a byproduct of being around and having a little healthy respect for one another, so I appreciated that. Um, there's some funny stuff, I mean, when he was. Uh, deliberating about the comeback, there's a health club downtown that I belong to, and we play a lot of basketball. Obama used to play with us all the time. And then uh, Michael started playing a little bit with us, which is really <laughs> kind of ridiculous. Uh, like uh, we always tell the story he's got the ball, and, and some guy's trying to guard him out at the top of the circle. And of course, Michael blows right around him in this guy was trying to set a screen to get Michael free. And we're, and we're looking at each other like, Michael Jordan needs some stockbroker to set a screen to get away from another stockbroker. I mean, it was ridiculous.
1: The Oxford Exxon Podcast is also brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. It specializes in on-site large event catering for up to 250 people and off-site full catering services, especially beverage catering. One day we're going to get back to normal, when we do – A lot of parties to catch up on. A lot of get-togethers that will need to take place, that will want to take place. Wedding receptions, rehearsal dinners, graduation celebrations, and more. And the Iron Horse Grill is your answer to be able to enjoy that moment. It's a one-stop shop for beverage services for a 250- to 500-person wedding or even a 3,500-person gala. It's the largest beverage caterer in Mississippi. It can service the entire state. So call Sarah Black at 601-398-0151. your catering needs and knock that off your worry list. Let the Iron Horse Grill make your event one that is memorable forever. Uh, We're also brought to you by Dead Soxy. We've been telling you about this is an incredibly strange time. We're all living in. Millions of us all over the world have been impacted by these unusual events and the Dead Soxy team hasn't been immune to that situation either. Uh, They've uh, faced some tough choices, and what they've done is instead of cutting costs and jobs, they're thinking about things a little differently. They want to keep their team intact, paid, and employed, and they need your help to make it happen. In the spirit of people helping people, they've decided to run a first-of-its-kind support sale. They have slashed their prices site-wide. $6, $9, $11 a pair. They'd rather you get their socks discounted so they can keep paying their team rather than worrying about margins at times like this. It's deadsoxy.com, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. We're also brought to you by Nest and Wild. Sleep better with a Nest and Wild mattress. It's a Mississippi-based mattress company making a high-quality mattress delivered right to your door. They make buying a new mattress easy. Every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick, giving you comfort and support that will last. A lot of online brands sell an 8-inch or 10-inch mattress, but not Nest and Wild. Every one is 12 inches thick, They're all American-made, and it's a uh, fantastic deal because we're throwing in a podcast discount. Go to nestandwild.com, order your mattress, enter the podcast code REBEL20, that's REBEL20, get 20% off your purchase. Your mattress will arrive at your door in three to five days. Brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. Pinnacle Trust, based in Madison, Mississippi. They've got clients in more than 20 states, advisors in multiple states as well. Founded in 1997, Pinnacle Trust provides detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. At Pinnacle Trust, investing is treated like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you. Cookie cutter financial planners put you in a box Pinnacle Trust builds a box just for you. To learn more, go to pentrust.com. That's P-I-N-N-Trust.com. Mention you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You'll get 10% off your first year's fees. And we're brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. Been with us a long time. We'd appreciate you Staying uh, loyal to them as well here in these weird times. You're in a you, you want a Nissan vehicle. Grenada Nissan is where you need to head. It's Grenada Grenada Nissan USA <laughs> 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 That's yeah, yeah. He's like, he's he's going. Come on, man. That has to be an incredible thing. You're out there on a basketball court playing, and I know uh, you know. Look, you do what I do for a living, so we're around sports people all the time. So some of the 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 awe around them disappears because we're around them a lot, but there still had to be a little part of you that's thinking, I'm playing basketball with Michael Jordan.
3: Oh, I'll tell you, I got a better one than that. Uh, I I can't remember what year it was, but I have it all on videotape. Uh, I was asked to participate in a three-on-three game at some festival down on the lakefront. I don't remember what it was for, but I get down there, and when I get there, my team is michael jordan and otis wilson from the bears <laughs> and we're playing james worthy patrick ewing and dominique wilkins
1: oh damn you so you're the you're the weak link out there in a in a big way
3: oh otis was dunking like a madman and the other guy i'm guarding patrick ewing in
1: the
0: post. <laughs> how'd that work out
3: another good guy by the way great guy uh, it was it was a blast. I took him outside. I can't do anything anymore but shoot, and I could still shoot Dennis. So I took him out and made a couple over him. But Michael and Dominique and James were just running around doing air acrobatics down there, and people were going crazy. It was really that was really one of the highlights of my career. I will tell you, it was so much fun.
1: Uh, last thing on the bulls, I'm a little curious that obviously Jerry Krause comes out of this as as the great villain. Is that fair?
3: Um, maybe not to the extent that it was portrayed in the documentary, but, you know, he couldn't get out of his own way. Jerry couldn't, uh, I don't think he meant to be a bad guy. He just had ideas about what he wanted to do, uh, within the framework of the financial picture. And I, you know, I get it between, uh, he and Reinsdorf that, you know, you're not, it's going to be maybe too expensive a proposition to bring all those guys back and try and do it again plus they saw the strike was coming and you know they didn't didn't know what the future really held for any of them so i kind of get that in a way but to make that proclamation at the beginning of the year that bills not coming back i mean he just shot himself right through the heart in that one that was a that was a bad move and jerry wasn't a people person and you know he He rubbed people the wrong way, but it didn't mean he wasn't a good executive. He was executive of the year. Uh, He's in the Basketball Hall of Fame now. And even Scotty said in the final episode that uh, he was the greatest general manager in history. And I don't know if that's quite true, but uh, he did his job. He built a great basketball team, and they won six titles.
1: What's Chicago like right now, Dan, in the midst of this coronavirus? It has to feel awfully weird to a guy like you. You know, we, we we all sort of have... I don't know, body clocks, and, and I'm sure in your case, this is the time of year that you're, you're out at Wrigley a lot, you're at the White Sox a lot, you're around Major League Baseball, and maybe the Blackhawks are finishing up or whatever, but it, it has to feel odd not to have any of that stuff going on there in the city.
3: Oh, it's just bizarre. I mean, I'm talking to you from my basement right now where I've been broadcasting from for the last eight weeks, And I'm really getting tired of looking at this place. (laughs) But, you know, it is what it is. Um, In a sense, it's, you know, you're kind of a part of history because nobody's been through anything like this. And we're all trying to do what we can. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, yeah, we'd be, I don't know. In this particular year, the Bulls are, are no good and we're going to make the postseason. And I'm fairly certain the Blackhawks weren't either, but we'd be all over baseball. And the White Sox were poised to have a breakout year. And the Cubs still have a pretty good squad, certainly a, a contender in their division. So we're looking forward to a great day. And now, you know, who knows what's going to happen and who knows what kind of shape the guys will be in when they come back or what their competitive Uh, mentality might be I mean nobody knows what's going to happen not just with the games being played and when it's all going to start if it starts but how everybody's going to react to coming back it's going to be very strange around here as it as if it isn't already
1: what's uh what are you hearing when you talk to major league baseball people whether it's with the Cubs or the White Sox or or whoever else I know you have a a world of of contacts after, after the career that you've had there in Chicago do you do you sense a confidence that, that baseball will be played? I think it's uh, I think there's a split. I think
3: there are some that uh, can't wait to get started again. Uh, some uh, I mean I'm talking about management teams, right? And I think there are some teams that just soon see it not happen, just see it sit out the season. Uh, the financials are going to be a huge issue no matter what happens because if they don't play. Um, The owners aren't going to want to pay anybody, at least not very much, and there's going to be a huge fight between them and the players' union, and it's going to be a big mess. I I think it it would be better and probably a little cleaner for all concerned if they do come back, but I don't think anybody has the answer to that question. And time's running out on these guys. If they really want to start playing you know, in in July, early in July, which is kind of the basic plan, I think, then – they're going to have to get this thing ironed out and get it ironed out pretty quickly because they're going to need training camp for at least, you know, I would say three weeks. And they have to tell the pitchers probably two weeks ahead of that just to give them a chance to get ramped up a little bit. So, uh, you know, they're they're up against it right now in terms of time too. So there's a lot going on there and it would make you understand why some some teams that especially some teams that don't have a chance to win anything would just say well let's just pack it in and wait till next year. Uh, it'd be a terrible thing for the fans, I'll tell you that.
1: Yeah, a team like the Cubs there in Chicago obviously they've they've built so much stuff around the ballpark. They've, they've created so many revenue streams. If you play baseball at Wrigley without fans, I saw I guess it was Brett Taylor that that had this but there he, I'd seen it somewhere else too. 210 million dollar loss is the is the estimate on what the Cubs would lose. In terms of just gates and that kind of thing, it, it, it's, an, it's an incredible number. And, and then, yet at the same time, if you don't have a season, as you said, the uh, the, the losses are, are are for for both sides catastrophic. And I agree with you. I mean, it's we're, we're taping this on the morning of of May the eighteenth. It sounds like a long time between now and, and early July, but it's not when you factor in that you've got to have a training camp and you've got to prepare for a training camp with all of the regulations that that are that, that have been released to the players. It, it feels like they. They have virtually no time to waste, and I don't know about you, but I don't think they can afford to not have a season because they can't reach financial terms i It's one thing if it's because a the the virus won't let us have a season if it's because we can't get on the same page financially i i would I would worry about what that would do to the sport from from a health standpoint long term.
3: Well, I agree with you, I think you know out of sight, out of mind, if they don't play baseball, then football comes around. And they do play in September like they think they're going to. If that happens, uh, you know what's you know what's the landscape going to be for baseball uh, when 2021 comes around? It? Maybe people will be uh, fed up with the players and the owners and the bickering over billions of dollars, and maybe they just will say the heck with it. We're not going to be a part of all this and be held hostage uh, so that these guys can make another extra. 5 or $6 million a piece. It's kind of crazy. I see it from both sides. I mean, the players have a short window to make their money, uh, but at the same time, you you have to have a bigger picture view in my estimation, not like uh, we heard from Blake Snell uh, last week, the Tampa Bay pitcher who just really put his foot in it, in my opinion, when he said, I'm not going to play unless I get mine, which is probably the last thing any baseball player wants to hear somebody else say
1: yeah no no question about that i'm i'm curious the cubs going into the the spring it was going to be this was going to be kind of a a a year of reckoning in some ways they you know if, if they got off to a bad start they were going to have to think about unloading players it's the uh, approaching perhaps the the end of I won't say the end of his era, but the end of the Theo Epstein contract. No one really knows what's on the other side of this. David Ross is a new manager. There's, you know, they were kind of getting to that place where a lot of tough decisions have to be made. How much does what's happened, in your opinion, sort of reset some of that?
3: Well, and you know, when you look at it, it's kind of a last dance for the Cubs too, with all these guys, um, you know, on the verge of uh, getting paid huge money or. Having to be traded, or in the case of, like, say, John Lester, who's still one of the three team leaders out there and one of their three or four best starting pitchers, uh, there's not much left there, I don't think. Uh, competitively, absolutely, but in terms of arm strength and all that, I don't know how much. And if, if he were to have to skip a season, um, again, contractually, I don't know where that goes because this is his last year. Uh, there is an option if he hits certain standards, which he's not going to hit. So um, it affects everybody in so many different ways. But I think the Cubs are one of those teams that uh, if they don't get to play, uh, it would really kind of hasten the uh, makeover that they're going to have to go through at some point in time. Uh, Again, though, you know, with this three-division setup, and half the Cubs and the White Sox would be together with all the Midwestern teams, plus Atlanta. I don't. If you win that World Series or if it comes to it, I mean, does it really matter? Because it's not really a World Series in the sense that we all know. It's just a bunch of teams playing games and then, you know, having a winner at the end. Yeah. Does it really matter that much? I don't know if it does or not.
1: It's it's you know it's interesting. I've had this conversation with people. It's one of those things where whoever if, if they play, whoever wins it is going to say, "Hey, we're the champs." And but I don't know that anyone's really going to celebrate it, and with all huh. the social distancing stuff, you can't celebrate it. But uh, the other twenty nine teams, it's they'll, they'll say, "Well, it doesn't matter." It's it's really it's why I've thought for the last few weeks. It's really an opportunity for Major League Baseball to sort of take a different approach to it I think you know it's a sport that's lost some popularity uh, certainly with young people it's it's a way to kind of get some of that back have some fun do some things mic up players do stuff like that understand that hey it's not going to be a traditional season it's never going to be remembered as a traditional season so do some things to market some of these young players to young people
3: right so one thing they've done is institute the the dh all the way around which uh, I'm not a big fan of. I like the way it's it's separated now, but I get it for a season like this. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, you get more offense out there, and you know people enjoy that more than they do seeing a pitcher's duel. So that's that's one thing. And miking up of the players, uh, that's easy, and they should do that for sure. Uh, no question about it. Um, beyond that, I mean, you don't want to uh, toy with the fabric of the game too much. I don't think, but I'm sure there are some nuanced things they can do to. Uh, to make it a little more appealing to some fans that might be out there on the fringe. I think everybody will be curious to see what's going on when it starts, if and when it starts, uh, whether they can hold everybody's interest throughout a season like this with teams scattered all over different divisions. I'm not so sure, but I guess we'll find out. At least I hope we'll find out.
1: You've had a chance in your career to cover a lot of really remarkable championships. We talked about the Bulls that uh, Bears Super Bowl team that was uh, goes down as one of the two or three probably best teams in the, in the history of the NFL. You covered that 2016 Cubs team that won the World Series. What, what was what stands out from, from some of those memories when, when you look back over your career? Which of those stories sort of resonate with you the most?
3: Well, I finally got to see everybody in town win uh, with, when the Cubs won. Uh, I'd seen the White Sox in 2005 and the Bulls, of course, and uh, the Blackhawks one there three. So it was great and the Super Bowl you know, I think I was so new on the job back then, I'm not sure I really recognize the magnitude of that. Yeah. I can tell you, I was down in New Orleans for eight days and it was maybe the longest eight days of my life trying to chase those guys around Bourbon Street <laughs> and have a little fun of my own down there. You know, it was it was really really some kind of an experience. Um and then, you know, when the Cubs won, I've been a Cub fan my whole life. Uh, I love the White Sox, too, but, uh, you know, I grew up as a Cub fan. So uh, I don't know what I was expecting. Maybe I was expecting the earth to split open when they finally won or something. And um, I wound up watching the final out in a room underneath the bleachers with two 85-year-old women from Major League Baseball because they wouldn't let any of the media near – the field and unless you were national media. Uh so then when we finally got out on the field, the celebration was going on and started pouring down rain. I mean <laughs> it was uh it was so anticlimactic to me, the whole thing. And and uh now that I've seen everybody have a chance to win a championship, I'm you know, I'm I'm good with my career. I'm I'll be ready to retire before too long and I've been able to see it all. But I think in the big picture, I think, you know, hanging around the bulls for those six titles and even the two years in between when they almost made it to the finals and would have, if not for a bad call by Hugh Hollins. Um, uh, I think the bulls have have been the, uh, most fun thing and probably the most impactful thing in my career.
1: You know, I grew up a Cubs fan in Louisiana. I grew up in North Louisiana and, and, uh, WGN, I guess, came to to our house in about 1982, maybe, maybe, maybe around that time. I don't remember, but I was already a Cubs fan. But all of a sudden, uh, I guess, as a as a teenager, and I've told you this, and I guess in an email, uh, your show at 9:40 on Sunday nights was it was must watch television for me. It was like it was it was what wrapped up my weekend especially if it was a weekend with the Cubs that had a great weekend or whatever. It was. I couldn't wait to watch that 20 minutes of, of, of that show, WGN, and I'd turn it on. It was Channel 9 at our house, and turn it on, and there it was. And, and uh, I guess it was Channel 8. It was Channel 9 in Chicago, but it was Channel, Channel 8 in North Louisiana. And I would turn to that, and I'm curious how many people like me from all over the country do you run into who are like, man, I, I watched you all those years you were sort of my conduit to uh, to the Cubs
3: oh it's it was uh, it was great I mean you could go anywhere in the country and even out of the country we had one of our news anchors uh, Robert Jordan who's since retired uh, was a scuba diver and he liked to go down to Belize and dive so he went to Belize and he checked into his hotel and he walked down the middle of the main street and this town he was in, I don't think it was the capital, not Belize City, but some other village or town, and people started coming out of the shops and stores just to see him, walked out in the middle of the street, <laughs> because we were strong in Central America and strong in the Caribbean too, uh, but for me, I mean, uh, for example, one we started doing this in spring training years and years ago, and our, our last day, we would my camera guy and our truck guy and me would dive into the pool on our last day, wherever we were staying, and we we would always make some big elaborate deal out of it, and it was pretty funny usually. And so the first time we did it, uh, we dove in the pool, and our management people thought it was okay, and then we went to the ballpark uh, for a final. Uh, practice the next day, and I had hundreds of people coming up to me to talk to me about that. And and that was when I really kind of first understood the reach of that superstation. And you could go, really, we could go anywhere in the country, and everybody had GN because of the sports. They wanted it, and uh, so we were doing, uh, back then we were doing White Sox, Cubs, and Bulls. And, you know, Jordan was playing for the Bulls, and we did 30 games in that last dance year. So I was doing pre and post, and we did a half-hour pregame show before everyone and did some of the play-by-play too. So uh, we were widely known, and I hated that when when they finally pulled us off the Super Station. I think it was 2012. I was in New Orleans doing a Bulls game. And I got a call from my boss, and they said, uh, as of Monday – all of our stuff is off the Superstation. Uh, don't comment to anybody about it. I don't want to hear another word. I said, but. he goes, I don't want to hear another word. So it was a tax savings deal for the company. They made a lot of money on it. But uh, in terms of PR and all that, and uh, for me anyway, I hated yeah. to
1: see it. Yeah, because you were national. I mean, you, 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 you guys and, and, and WTBS and Atlanta were, were, were national.
3: Right, and we were the only ones that did, like, newscasts and all that kind of stuff. So uh, anybody that was transplanted from Chicago to somewhere else always tuned in to see what was going on in Chicago. So they watched our news all the time. We may have had better ratings uh, outside Chicago than we did in, although that's probably not true. But I remember the game, uh, the, when Jordan came back, they started at Indiana, and then they were on the road for a bit, and the first home game was our game. It was a friday night so we did a lot of i was actually on vacation at hilton head and somebody called me and said you got to come back so we did a lot of programming uh before and after and uh we got a two national rating on that game which means wow two million people were watching wgn outside of chicago which was unheard of at the time and probably hadn't been done before or since so yeah it was it was a huge reach and it was a lot of fun back in those days
1: last couple of things obviously a large football audience listening to this podcast a lot of college football fans and that kind of thing so we talk a lot of NFL the Bears have brought in Nick Foles Uh, obviously they're running out of time and patience with Mitch Trubisky is is it over for Trubisky there in Chicago do you see Foles being the quarterback how do you sort of see that playing out
3: um, it's really hard to say. And I heard Nagy, Matt Nagy on the radio a couple of days ago saying the same thing. I mean, when you don't get a chance to see him on the field, who knows? And who knows what Trubisky has been doing? Um, can you make yourself smarter? Uh, I'm not sure if you can or not, no matter how much film you study. Uh, he's got the physical attributes. He's just got to be a little bit more, uh, quick on the trigger. And as far as Foles goes, we've all seen him. He's Plays might be. I think it's his fifth team in nine years, and uh, he's basically a journeyman backup with a couple of bright moments. Um, I don't physically. He's not as good as Trubisky, but I think he knows more about the position, and maybe Mitch can learn some from him. I'm not sure about that, but we'll find out. Hopefully, I hope we have football. I think we'll have NFL football, and the college football might be a different story.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think the NFL is definitely going to play. The, the as you can imagine, the college game down here is 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 a oh, yeah. a daily storyline. And and as of right now, I think the SEC is planning to play. I'm interested to see what happens in, in your neck of the woods with the Big Ten. Uh, some of the some of the states might not be as open by then. Like you you hear some kind of ambiguous language coming out of, say, Ohio State and and, uh, and and Illinois and some of those type schools, and it's kind of hard to get a, a real read on it here in May. And <laughs> and kind of like we talked about with, with uh, Major League Baseball, Dan, there's it, it a little more time, but there's not a lot more time. You've got to get players to campus, and you've got to get them conditioned just from a safety standpoint, and to do that, it, it's got to start happening here fairly soon.
3: Yeah, it really does. And you're right. You hear one president of a university say, yeah, we're planning. Purdue is one that says, yeah, we're going to we're going to have all the kids back on campus. We're going to class. We're going to have football. It's not going to be any different. And then, you know, the schools in Illinois, uh, the U of I and Northwestern, they're going, well, (laughs) wait, wait a minute now. So nobody really knows anything you hear right now is all conjecture. Uh, You just really have to wait a little bit longer and see. Uh, where the virus is going and if it's if they get some kind of a precipitous drop then maybe things will be go at least in some sense of normal but if they don't you know football with all those guys jammed into a locker room and and you know right next to one another on the field and all the bodily fluids that are exchanged during the course of a game i just i just don't it's not safe at this point anyway if they can make it safe man i hope they do but i don't know i'm not sure about that now the nfl you know money's no object so that's not an issue for them
1: yeah L- last thing uh, and i really appreciate your time it's been a lot of fun for me uh, the next big documentary that's coming out as we all wait for r- real sports to sort of happen again is espn is going to unleash the uh the maguire sosa Yeah, Uh, uh, documentary you you had a front seat for that as well what what do you remember from from that season and then uh kind of as we close is there is there a scenario in your mind where the the cubs and sammy sosa sort of uh i don't know let let bygones be bygones and and there's a day when he's welcome back in chicago
3: i'm not sure i think he's welcome back i don't know if the cubs are very welcoming at this point. Uh, Ricketts, Tom Ricketts has said he, he wants Sammy to, to uh, apologize for some of the things that happened before he thinks about letting him come back as part of the group. Tom wasn't even around when that was going on so I, I, I don't really understand his motivation in some of that. That was a great year for me personally because Chip Carey was doing play-by-play and he was also doing the game of the week on Fox on the weekend, so I filled in for him on Fridays and Saturdays and some Sundays. So I probably did thirty or forty games as play-by-play with Steve Stone that summer, and called a lot of Sammy's homer. I got his sixty-sixth home run in Houston that the Friday of the last weekend of the regular season. Um, it was exciting as it could possibly be, and I think you know most of the media were looking the other way when it came. What was in the lockers and yeah. what these guys were taking, uh, it was pretty easy to get caught up in it. Uh, but as time went by, I mean, uh, you, you, I mean, you understood the unfairness of all of it just because of uh, records in baseball that are pretty sacred over the years, and for these guys to just obliterate them because they're all juiced up doesn't seem quite fair to me.
1: Were you thinking, hey, that this is this this looks funny when it was happening?
3: Um, you know, I. I really did not, and everybody knew about McGuire having that Andro in his locker, and which is kind of a, a substance that helps you recover quicker from workouts. It's not like uh, it's necessarily helping him that much. And hand-eye coordination, I guess they say your eyesight sometimes gets a little bit better. Uh, I think that was brought up in the case of Barry Bonds. But, uh, I mean, to square up a baseball is one of the hardest things you can possibly do in sports. And these guys, I mean, as far as they were hitting the ball, it was really quite unbelievable to see. And uh, they were playing the Cubs when McGuire went past Maris's record. And uh, I was down there in St. Louis, and it was insane. McGuire on the back of a Corvette convertible circling the bases and everybody going crazy down there in St. Louis. Uh, there were some scenarios that happened during that year that I'll never forget. That's for sure but uh in you know you look at it big picture from uh a few years of perspective it seems kind of washed out at this point i do hope sammy gets to come back for his sake at some point but he's gonna have to mend a few fences first
1: well listen thanks so much for your time uh you've had a you've had an incredible career there with in chicago and w- one of my favorite cities and you've gotten to cover some some fantastic stuff and as someone who has followed you i, I know how uh, i know how well you have done it so uh, i really it's been an honor to talk to you and i really appreciate it
3: oh thanks neil i appreciate that and uh, anytime you need something let me know
1: go enjoy some golf i hope soon and um, hopefully you're back covering some uh some real sports before too long
2: all right thanks
1: take care bye we'll
2: take a break in the show to tell you about community mortgage located in oxford memphis Soto county and chattanooga underwriting and processing is done in memphis so you're getting local underwriting and understand your market a leader in condo financing in Oxford, and the flow down option where you can lock in the current rate. But if rates go down before you close, you get the lower rate. 662-234-2704 or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. Also brought to you by G&M Pharmacy on South Lamar. In Oxford, also Tyson Drugs on the Square in Holly Springs. Both those locations are open for regular business hours. Tyson's is utilizing a walk-up window. And GM is offering curbside service there in Oxford. Both stores are dedicated to local delivery and still able to deliver same day as well. 662-236-2222. The podcast brought to you by Visit Oxford. Visit is the website. Click the very top see so how to support Oxford during COVID-19. You can see a list of all retailers, restaurants with curbside with delivery options to uh, help you out there if you need that list. Also, ways to support hospitality workers who are out of jobs right now in Oxford between Tupelo and some other options that you have. Again, visit oxfordms.com. Podcast also brought to you by Special Orthopedic Group. They are open in Tupelo and Oxford. You can skip the ER for urgent ortho related injuries at both locations. They're offering, offering virtual health telemedicine. Patients have direct access to all SOG physicians and nurse practitioners. Patients have 24 hour access to appointments at 662 767. 4200 or SOGMS.com. No referral is needed. Walk ins are welcome. And then last but not least, we're brought to you by in house interior and design, 662 681 6241. You can call, you can text. They are available for you. I talked to Nikki this week. They've been getting picking up more clients because people are home right now. They're seeing things around their house. They want to change, they want to fix up. They offer new client gifts. They offer dorm room appointments whenever that does uh, come with discounts as well. So you can find out more. Text or call 662-681-6241. Brett Taylor
1: joins us. Uh, you know Brett from Bleacher Nation, also from Onto Waveland. It's a, a podcast that is sponsored by or is a part of The Athletic, but you can get it where you get your podcast, iTunes, uh, Spotify, all those different places, wherever. You can find Onto Waveland. I get it on iTunes, so I shouldn't just continue to ramble on about other places you can get it, but there are probably other places you can get it besides Apple, iTunes. Really good. They had one out just yesterday, and I listened to uh, all of it when I was out walking, uh, out walking the dogs, Brett. So it was really good. So uh, thanks so much for spending some time with me. I'm, I've been looking forward to this for several days. How are you?
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on. I mean, I'm. It's. I find, like a lot of people, our ability to connect with other humans right now is uh, is limited, and so you know <laughs> any opportunities to do that, even if it's just in sound is uh i don't know it's nice it gives you you get like a little like i feel it now as i'm talking to you and you get like just a little extra swell of positive energy in your gut kind of because it's like all right all right I'm, I'm connecting with another person right now that's that's nice
1: yeah you know it's funny because i do a lot of different podcasts um our network of podcasts uh, thank god has expanded we've been we've done well and and you know we do a I do a financial podcast now. I do a kind of a general podcast. I do a recruiting podcast. Of course, I do a lot of podcasts that normally talked about Ole Miss sports back when there were Ole Miss sports. And so now we're just talking to different people. But you're right. I catch myself. I get people saying, man, I bet you get tired of podcasting. And I'm like, no, not. I mean, no, not really. I kind of look forward to talking to different people about different things because you're right. It does kind of help you sort of feel grounded and connected and, and like. A little hopeful, I think, at times.
0: Yeah, in a way that's. Um, I mean, I think we get that a little bit in normal times, but especially now, where like it's easy to say in the abstract, you know, we're all in this together, we're all going through this, we're all feeling, you know, kind of the same things and all that. But like, it's very different, I find, when you actually are confronted with having that conversation with another person. It's like, oh yeah, this this really is impacting everyone um and that's obviously that's um terrible in a number of ways but it's also um like an anxiety relief in in other ways so yeah um yeah i feel you
1: so you know i get this question a lot about you know hey Neil, what do you think about football season, specifically the college football season? As you know, I'm I'm based in Mississippi, and to say that people care about the SEC down here is probably an <laughs> understatement of gigantic proportion. But I mean, I get it, and I, and I, so I, sometimes I think, you know, what would we do if there were no football season to cover? And and I always think, well, I've got time. And I was thinking about you today when I was kind of thinking about how I wanted to sort of structure this podcast, which of course immediately means there's no structure. But it it, it I was thinking. Those guys were getting ready for a you know a Cubs season and and a Cubs season with a ton of storylines. David Ross's first year and uh, will the Cubs trade Chris Bryant and are they going to break this group up and all of these different things. And all of a sudden there is no Cubs baseball. There's no promise of Cubs baseball, at least not in the immediate. And we don't know if there is Cubs baseball, what it will look like, where it will be, how much access to it you will or will not have, et cetera, et cetera. What has it been like? For you as a publication that is you know primarily you guys do more than cover the cubs but the cubs are your bread and butter and there is no cubs to cover
0: uh horrible <laughs> no i mean like for all the reasons you you laid i'm listening to you and i'm like yes yep that sucks yep that sucks that's right that sucks. I'm sorry no i mean I, no I'm fine that's that's <laughs> just the reality. Like,
1: I'd give you a true. beer right now if we were in person. No. I'd say, "Here, Brett, I'm sorry."
0: <laughs> no, I mean the, the the thing is, it's like it's been so. It's, you know, we've been shut down for two months, and um, I actually, because the world has been so off its axis for these two months, like I have not forgotten, but like it just does not live at the top of my mind anymore the fact that this was going to be such a such an interesting season for the cubs like i just haven't thought about that stuff in so long that it's it's like oh yeah the entire change from joe madden to david ross that's like kind of a huge deal uh, oh yeah they were trying to create trade chris bryant all offseason were unsuccessful oh yeah you remember the luxury tax stuff yeah oh what about the fact that everybody's a free agent after 2021 or are they uh, I mean, there's a million things that now. Yeah, a team, uh, a team
1: that's good enough to to win the division, and a team that's 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 flawed enough to finish fourth.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and that's and it was like the entire framing of that story was going to be okay. What happens in the first half? Okay, because it's you know they've they've been. Theo Epstein was very candid, like. If we're not there, if it doesn't look like a team that's really going to compete for a championship—not just compete for a playoff spot, but compete for a championship—we got to pull the trigger. I, I mean, I really, th- I really believed that that was the what the first half was going to look like. And now, I mean, anybody who tells you it's—it's it's sort of like the coronavirus in general. It's like anybody who tells you they know what, assuming there is a season, what the Cubs' like process will be this year is totally full of it cuz like you can't know how the structure of the season combined with the tremendous financial impact of this combined with like we don't even know what trade options are going to be and we know that teams i mean sorry to be a total buzzkill for folks but like i think often about how even in a world where it's like okay season comes back and it proceeds albeit abbreviated but like in a normal fashion you know about halfway into the year it's like okay trade deadline comes up and you can make these decisions well guess what even a wonderful player like chris bryant if the cubs got in a position where they were like okay i think we want to make a move you know it's not happening for us we want to recoup some value well suddenly in a world where teams are making no money and there's all these questions about what the finances are going to look like next year even a guy making relative change like he is his value has has gone to nothing. Uh, I mean, I should say potentially because yeah, no, caveat I, to all. Caveat I, to all of this. We yeah, don't know sure, for sure, but, sure. Um, yeah, and so it's like you ca- you just simply cannot possibly lay out as an outsider even as an insider, I don't think you could, like what the course of this season is going to be, because there's just going to be so many questions on the financial side that will completely change the value of players, the way you construct rosters, and and that stuff, by the way, like even when we get back playing, and even in a, quote, normal year next year, if that happens, that stuff's going to linger for a long time. I think we're in for a really really fundamental change in the financial side of baseball for a while
1: i wasn't going to go there right away and remind me to get back to some other things i could keep you for seven or eight hours i'm so fascinated (laughs) with some of these different things you don't have seven or eight hours which is which is probably a good thing for you um (laughs) you know the the odds of next season it, and and let's just leave this season alone for a minute, which I realize you cannot do. But but let's just say that they, that they have a quote season next season. The odds of next season being a quote normal end quote season, based on some of the language that people are using now about vaccine and cure and things like that. And I'm not I'm not getting political here. I'm just that's what people are starting to say out loud. If that's the case, a guy like Chris Bryant and people like him, I think of Trevor Bauer going to this offseason, uh Mookie Betts this offseason, guys that are that have thought, "Hey, this is my big payday is on the horizon." Whether it's to stay in Chicago or Boston or Los Angeles or Cincinnati or whatever, m- my payday is on the horizon. Now, if you're one of those people, I don't know that you're quite so sure that your payday is anywhere close to the horizon and it makes me wonder if some guys are going to say, "You know what? Let me let me sign a real short-term, maybe even a 1-year deal." I'll just stay where I am. I'll take less than I ever thought I'd get and wait for the industry to recover so that I can then get my payday.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I mean, I think to a T, that's what's going to happen with, um, I mean, Amuki Betts is a perfect example. You know, He was a guy who was coming up on 300 plus million this oh, offseason. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, 20, 28, you know, superstar. He was just perfectly primed. And now I, I just, I can't, imagine the team that's going to be willing to put a contract like that on their books right now and and even yeah though would, would there be a team or two that's willing to like say yeah we'll, we'll give you a five-year deal but like you're going to cap it it's such a number that it's not going to make for a um, reasonable choice uh for him so i think you're going to see superstars taking one-year deals that look like chump change i i really and and again we'll see i hate like prognosticating with too much certainty cuz like it is pl- it, it's at least plausible right now like let's leave it at plausible that the season gets off that the tv revenue actually increases relative to expectation and it ends up being like not a total disaster now like you said forward looking to next year i think you're still going to be anticipating a lot of disruption but Setting that aside, even in a world where it's like, okay, you know, revenues, they weren't quite as obliterated as we thought. I still think you're going to see a very limited pool of teams, even willing to, um, you know, guarantee a modest sum for one year for a guy like Mookie Betts. And I mean, we're not even getting into, get this, think about arbitration players who, you know, you have to make the decision, right, to tender them a contract in the fall. yeah, And they will get a raise, right? They'll get a raise on what their salary was this year. But if the landscape for payroll completely changes, suddenly we might see a lot of star-level arbitration players non-tendered because teams are like, sorry, in this new world, like that that salary just doesn't make sense. I mean, that's – think about that. Think about if the Cubs had to make a decision on whether – to tender Chris Bryant a contract because he might make 25 million. Isn't that crazy to think it, about? It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's That's not off the table. Like it's crazy, but that's how crazy things are right now.
1: You wrote a column. Uh, I think it was yesterday. Maybe last evening. I don't know. Um, now's the time for major league baseball teams to justify the love. We mean the fans give to them. I, th- I thought you made a couple of, of remarkable points. And I was listening to your podcast with Sahad of Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Um, Onto Waveland again is the name of it, and, and and you kind of, I don't know I don't know which one you did first, the podcast or the column, but there was some mirroring, obviously, because that's what we do, and and it was it was really interesting. You made a, a a really good point that I keep waiting for other people to sort of make, which is you and I are both baseball nuts. I think it's safe to say you probably even more so than I, and 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 I grew up; it was the only sport that I just devoured, and. That strike in 1994 uh, cost the sport fans. Cost the sport fans that it still probably has not completely recouped. It it uh, it absolutely cost a lot of uh, people's passion for the game. That that was a a season that you know the Montreal Expos were really good and the Braves and all that stuff, and it went it went to hell and it went away. And and whether it was the owners' greed or the players' greed or what whatever, the the common man, if you will can't relate to either side because of the exorbitant salaries and because of the exorbitant wealth of the, of the ownership that pays those salaries. So you were talking about how here we go into this crazy time for baseball where the owners have made a proposal and the players are going to counter and all these things. And the, the, the two sides hate one another and they don't trust one another. And you were exactly right. And I don't, I don't want to steal all of the thunder cause I want to get, I want you to expound on it. But if they, if they don't play a season because for health reasons, I think we all, even, even those who, who would begrudgingly get it, I think we would all get it. If you don't play a season in this environment because you can't reach terms financially, I don't know that the sport can recover from that for quite some time, especially if the NBA, for example, finds a way, and the NFL, which is going to find a way, finds a way. I think baseball would, would have a very difficult time finding its footing in a post-COVID world.
0: Yeah, I mean that's. There's a lot of ways to think about the, you know, I'll set aside like I do mention in the article about like a, a, a moral approach to like what are you supposed to do in these situations. Like let's set set that aside for a moment. Even though, can we come
1: back to it though because I think because well, yeah. I, I think it's fascinating and let's, I and I yes, agree with where you're going. Okay, because, sure.
0: Yeah. So let's set that aside and let's like just look at this from a purely strategic business perspective. Right now, this moment in time is horrible for everybody. People are dying, people are sick, people are afraid, people are at home. Million reasons it's terrible, right? So the idea that you could see it as some great opportunity is is gross. And so we can't, can't have that conversation. But the reality is that where people do want that entertainment to feel good, to feel normal, to feel distracted, you know, all these kinds of things. There actually is a goodness there yes. that isn't just about money. Yes, And you, so again, setting aside the morality for a moment, if this situation has created that opportunity where you can be a part of bridging that gap, you are just completely stepping on your own balls to not participate in fill that gap Because what you could create in the long term are more fans, more dedicated fans, more opportunities for ways that they can consume your product, new ideas that you may never have come up with, all kinds of these things that you would lose, the opportunity that you would lose if you sacrificed this season on the altar of money, not because the health risks prevented it. And then... You, moreover, what you mentioned is it's not just the opportunities that you miss, it's the actual costs you incur. If you don't play because of money, I guarantee marginal fans will be turned off for a very long time. And where baseball makes its bones is on the marginal fan interest because the hardcore people, we're not going anywhere. Yeah. But we're also getting older. And great we, point. we, don't necessarily make up the greatest percentage of the incremental dollars that the sport brings in. And so if you give marginal people a reason not to consume your sport, um, they'll take it. And so the risk to me of not playing this year because of money, like, again, just on dollars and cents, it's like, is it really worth fighting to the death over 50 bucks today when it might cost you 250 bucks over the next 4 years and when like, it might make you,
1: and when it might make you 500 it, over over the there next There
0: you go exactly because it's the cost and it's the missed opportunity.
1: If so, I'm a baseball owner and God knows I'm not but if I were the argument I would be making is listen. This is a lost sunk season to some degree but we have an opportunity here to make an investment.
0: Yes, investment,
1: and 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 we have an opportunity here to, because let's face it, if you're a Braves fan, and you just want to see Acuna and those guys play, you want to see them play, and this is one of those seasons where whoever wins the World, if there is a World Series, whoever wins the World Series is going to go yes, and everybody else, the other 29 fan bases are going to go "Ah, as a year that didn't count. Yeah. So I mean, that's reality. So if if you're this is this is an opportunity for ownership to go to the players and go hey look we're going to take a hit here we're going to honor the half thing that we did we're going to take a hit here here's what we're asking for from you in return because we realize we're asking a lot of you all we're asking is hey let's have some fun here let's try some new things let's mic up players on the field during these games with no fans. Let's try to do some things that appeal to younger fans. Let's build a fan base for the future. And then when we sit down at the table, because the collective bargaining agreement is coming up soon, when we sit down at the table, remember this gesture of good faith and let's get something done without a work stoppage. The Oxford Exxon Podcast is also brought to you by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. Been telling you for a while that... uh, Travel's going to get back to normal. It's not there yet, but we're headed in that direction. I got a note from John just the other day. He was letting me know about some uh, things that are either opened or are about to open out there if you want to interested in those and you want to get in touch with him. Uh, check out Kohler, Wisconsin. Four golf courses just opened on April the 24th. Uh, great deals there in Kohler. The Watercolor Inn in Seaside, Florida. Uh, it, it opened on May 1st. Beach access, pools as well. Uh, the Kiswa Island in uh, South Carolina, all the hotels, the villas and the homes they opened on. Uh, they open on May the sixteenth. Two golf courses, uh, pools, beaches, also in South Carolina in Hilton Head, the Sea Pines Resort uh, there in Hilton Head. Hotels, uh, homes, May the sixteenth. Golf courses, pools, beaches opening as well. And then, uh, if you want. A little something more a little more exotic in uh, the British Virgin Islands. Sailboat rentals with full crew. Uh, all of that stuff opening up on June the 2nd. Up to three couples. Total of $14,500. All inclusive. If you want to get away and enjoy travel, things are opening up. You want to get in touch with John. 901-494-3387. Or send him an email. jedwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients save $50 off their first book trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. We're also brought to you by Oxford University Bank, OUB, locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB gives you the the benefits of home, uh, all the comforts and benefits that you're used to from the big mega banks, except they give you a personal touch, all the technology and products you want, but there's no buttons to push, no wait. You get a live person when you call. Great customer service at OUB. You also get Kasasa. It's the absolute best cash checking account. And with it, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances up to $50,000 and refund ATM fees nationwide. They also have a commercial checking account. Now paying 1% interest as long as you keep $10,000 in the account, it comes with Fully interactive online banking. To learn more, go to liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662 234 6668. OUB is FDIC insured. Amber brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group, dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, their team is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. The firm is built on decades of wealth management experience, and they've seen it all. Their financial advisors have a reputation for professional excellence, and their clients rely on their high level of confidence and integrity. So whether you need guidance on developing a financial plan, creating a customized executive benefits program for your business, or preparing a detailed asset allocation analysis, Bluff City Advisory will provide forward-thinking, cost-effective investment strategies customized to uniquely fit each client. 901-365 or email ben, B-E-N, at advisory.com And we're brought to you by Whitney McNutt of Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors. She sponsors my weekly mailbag on rebelgrove.com, and she can also serve you for all your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo. She sells condos, land, commercial, and residential family homes. To get in touch with Whitney, 662 or 662 for
0: yeah I mean that I think about as you as you were talking through it and look I it's a sort of hate when people draw parallels between professional athletes and their own life but in this instance I do think it's applicable is that it, when you talk about okay what can we do in this moment in time if this year is kind of a sunk deal anyway how can we invest in such a way that we come out of this year in a better position than we went into it and everything you mentioned just about the on-field product and the relationships of the players and having fun and all that stuff that's where baseball needs to go and I'm thinking about circling back to when you mentioned you know what is it like for us and for bleacher nation and what we're doing right now when um, sports shut down and it's like that's what we do well after you know I mourned for a few days it's like we rounded up and it's like okay well we, we're going to get hit hard by this, and there's no sure. avoiding that now. Sure. But what can we do during this time to ensure that when things turn around, we have positioned ourselves better for having used this time in ways to, whether it's connecting with people more closely, whether it's doing more podcasts, whether it's doing more social media whatever it is we need to make sure that we didn't just waste this time because it's like well there's no sports so and we're going to get hammered so whatever um and i think that parallel does apply to baseball and, and any of the sports that are shutting down it's like you've got to take a moment to realize that you know we didn't cause this fire it's not anybody's fault it is a thing that happened outside of our control it's done it's happening you can't stop it all we can do is take a really honest look at how can we best weather this as a business. If you know, if we're talking about BN or talking about Major League Baseball, and and just make sure that we didn't um, hurt ourselves more than the virus hurt us. So that's how I think about it. Um, that's what we've been trying to do, and I think that, like you said, that's ultimately what. Baseball should be that's that's like the overarching way that baseball should be thinking about this, and then ultimately, I think that answers a lot of the questions about how you pay players, how you keep everybody safe. You know, if, I think if you have that mindset, you're going to be able to answer all those questions.
1: The other uh, line that that you had the other day—it's a series of tweets where you talked about how, as of today, as of this moment, and I think at the time it was like I don't know May the. Tenth or eleventh, he said. You know, we don't have the testing today to get started to play, but that doesn't mean that we won't be better in two weeks. It doesn't mean we won't be better in four weeks. It won't. Doesn't mean we won't be better in six weeks, and it doesn't mean we won't be so much better in a couple of months that by then we will have the testing in 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 place to play. And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. I don't I don't wanna put words in your mouth because this is not what you said, but it doesn't have to be zero or one hundred. There 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 can be steps and there is progress made. We're obviously further along today than we were two weeks ago towards that goal. What kind of pushback have you gotten on that from from, from people?
0: <laughs> A lot. Yeah. Uh, so I um I hate that I even have to and I know you're not saying this and I appreciate you bringing it up because like I care about this topic a lot because I feel like there hasn't been no I agreed with
1: you completely as I read it I was like yes exactly in the sports
0: world yeah in the sports world in particular like I'm not talking about the world at large but in the sports world in particular it has felt to me like there hasn't been enough nuanced conversation about um you know what do we really think the outcome needs to be here because if you look, if you want to take the position that we can't do sports until there is a vaccine and it's widely distributed and in whatever, if you want to take that position, you can, I think you need to acknowledge that there are tens of thousands of people whose livelihoods depend on sports. And if you extend it to all sports, it's actually more like millions of people. Yeah. Um, And I feel like that has been lost because I think a lot of the framing is, you know, we don't need sports. I could actually debate that in terms of mental health, but we'll set that aside. You know, you don't need sports. So it's a frivolous thing. Shouldn't worry about it until there's a vaccine. Okay. Again, you can take that perspective if you want, but you need to own the fact that what you're endorsing might actually cause more harm than a measured approach to trying to contain track and trace and reopen and it's it it's become such a polarizing political topic like anything right now where like if all you want to do like all I want to do is be like can we just talk about the numbers like here's what testing looks like right now here's how it is in different parts of the country here's the you know positive test rates which another little pet peeve if you'll indulge me Go ahead. is <laughs> It it makes for a very, so I, you know, I've said cover the Cubs, but I'm also an editor of a media publication. And so like, there are like certain media things that create, there's that huge pet peeves of mine. And I know that the pandemic has created a whole lot of opportunities for like really unsophisticated. You are also, let,
1: let, me, let me interrupt real quick because I want people to get this context because I know this about you because I, I, I religiously consume your work. Not everyone who's listening to this does. You should, but you probably, many of you don't. You also have a, a legal background. You, you could have been an attorney and stayed in the legal field for the rest of your life and you, you pursued a passion.
0: Sure. Yeah, I was a lawyer. It's it's crazy. It's been like 10 years now. But yeah, I was a lawyer in a previous life. And I do think that sort of set up some of the ways I think about things where, I, you know, I think you can see a topic and you can see different angles to it. And we don't have to be like, we don't have to adopt one side of an issue so forcefully and completely, and then make the other half of the topic, you know, our, our sworn enemy. Um, I think there are better ways to talk about things. And when it comes to, you know, all things with respect to the coronavirus, I think that we, it it became, well, so a a thing that bugs me is it became very easy for media publications to figure out that they could generate a crap load of traffic if they could frame um, a story, as either you know a data point or whatever it was as either being like crazy awesome optimistic hopeful perfect this is the thing that's going to solve it or the exact opposite like holy crap did you notice this terrifying data point that everything's horrifying and it's it's broken and we're all going to die and that that became clear to me about a month ago was when you could just tell major media publications started getting their data back and they started being like you know this is the stuff that's doing really well and it's truthful because it's based on data. We can frame these stories in this way, and da 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 da. Um, it bugs me. It just it bugs me so much because it's you're you're not doing your readership any real service by creating these like black and white zones and forcing them to exist in that when the reality of our time right now is that you you can find a data point for anything you want to say. Nobody knows anything. Um, so. Anyway, circling back to just the the point that underpins this, when you see um, headlines right now about like, ooh, positive cases are still, you know, they opened up and then theirs are going way up and it's like, that might be true and we should investigate that. But how is their testing doing? Is their testing also exploding? Because if their testing is exploding... There's a certain reality there. If you're testing a lot more people, well, we know this disease has varying degrees of severity. So if you're testing a lot more people, you're probably going to catch a lot more positives. So what you really need to be looking at, in my unsophisticated opinion, is the, the rates of positive tests. Because then if you're in an area where there's just a crap load more testing and the rate of positive tests is going down, you still might see the total volume of positive tests going up it's just that you're capturing more of them and it actually might be that the virus is uh receding you know the rt number might be going down in that area so anyway i know that's like a, a huge tangent but i follow this stuff closely because it impacts the way i have to talk about sports and sports resuming and like i'm trying not to get swept up into and I, and I don't think I am this. I'm not someone who's like, we need sports back at all costs. And here, I'm going to just argue with everyone about the safety and efficacy of it and all this. Like, no, it's quite the opposite. I, my position is I don't know. I really don't know what the world is going to look like in a month when baseball wants to start spring training part two. But I leave open the possibility that we could be in a much better place in a month. So like, I don't understand why people want to act like today is June 14th. Like that just doesn't make any sense to me.
1: I'm with you completely. Cause it's not June 14th. We have, we have time to make those decisions and you can move in a, you can progress in a, in a linear way towards a decision Or, or towards hey, with the idea that we're going to have spring training too, and then if you get to a place where at that time it's just not possible, well, then you just don't do it. I mean, it it, it's it, it doesn't that decision doesn't have to be made today, and it doesn't have to be couched in a way that hey, everything must be perfect. Because if we're like you said, if we're waiting for everything to be perfect, that's what I've told people about football. Look, if you're waiting for everything to be perfect to play college football, we might not have a season in 2021. I yeah. mean, You know, I mean, we're still waiting on some vaccines. I mean, you know, I mean, we're we're going to have to be smarter. There's going to be some common sense. And and you know, Brett, you talk about mental health, and I know we got to let you go here in a second because you're you're up against a clock. We talk about mental health, and it's a really important thing. And look, my mental health doesn't depend on a Cubs game anytime soon. I mean, I've made it two months. I can make it a couple more. And if I miss a season, I miss a season. But. I can tell you as a as a person who sort of marks time over my 50 years on this planet through Major League Baseball, as crazy as that might be, um, I, I can tell you that there would be something cathartic, something healthy, something joyful about l- turning on a television and seeing Wrigley Field or Miller Park or Bush Stadium or wh- wherever, Target Field in Minneapolis, wherever wherever stadium you want to name – and seeing a, a Cubs game, seeing Chris Bryant out at third base and Anthony Rizzo at first base, and Wilson Contreras out there, and there would there would be something there would be something that would would trigger a a, a endorphin, a hormone that I think would make me feel a lot better for a moment now i don 't want them to play if they 're going to be endangered. I, I, I don't know the people personally, but but I, I follow them closely enough to know that I don't want anything bad to happen to them or their families or, or anyone else's families. We joke about the Cardinals and stuff, but I don't want anything bad to happen to Matt Carpenter or to, or, or to Colton Wong or his family because of, of baseball, for goodness sake. But if there's a way for them to play safely, um, yeah, it, it, to say that there would not be a, a, a benefit from that for the general public is is ludicrous.
0: Well, sports exists for a reason, right? Like, I mean, there's a reason that if, if you trace it back, you, you think about it and talk about it as this huge industry, but that only exists because it must be fulfilling some need for human beings, right? And it just seems unfair to me to... Nobody is trying to say that, like, the, the, the scales that we're evaluating are like, okay, oh, some people dying is worth me having some more fun watching baseball. I don't think – like I sort of – that's such a straw man that people offer up because nobody's saying that. Instead, it's – for me, I just feel like people need to be fair to acknowledge that the experience of life and the positive aspects of life do matter. And they matter, not just because like we as humans seek out joy and we deserve to try to find joy. And I mean, there's a reason it's like what life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There's a reason pursuit of happiness is in there. It's because it's important to the human experience. And I think that the part though, that does get lost is it's an accumulation of a lot of the uncertainty. I mean, a lot of this is out of everybody's control, but like. The uncertainty of what's going on, the scariness of what's going on, plus the fact that all these things that we enjoy are shut down and inaccessible to us and the, the relationships that they create between people are, are closed off from us, that does have a serious impact on mental health for everyone, in my view, but certainly for you know someone like me, I, I have major anxiety issues. I mean, I'm on medication, man, and it does a great job, but it's like the risk factors for people who already, you know, are challenged, you know, to then have the, what's happening in our world thrown upon that. It does make it's, it's, it just makes it a lot scarier, a lot riskier and a lot more challenging such that like, I don't think it's unfair to want to think about, okay, but how can we start doing some of the things that we enjoy and that, ameliorate those mental health concerns if we can do them in a safe way so yeah miss me with the folks who are like shouldn't even be talking about baseball coming back because it's not safe no that's that's a really unfair way of talking about it because there's a whole lot more to it than just like us liking watching some dudes in pajamas slap a ball around—it's like, <laughs> there's, I mean, there's just so much more to it: to the connectivity, to the distraction, to the chemicals in your brain. Um, that I think we just need to make sure that we're not underselling when we have these conversations, and then and with all appropriate respect and deference to the reality that, like, there of course are greater factors at play, and that being safe and responsible and controlling the pandemic are priority one, but that doesn't mean we can't talk about the other stuff.
1: Yeah. I've, I've said this so many times that it's, it's funny. The most memorable sporting event of my life was a game that the Cubs lost. It was game three of the world series. Uh, My son and I went up there to Chicago for game three. It was a one nothing Indians win in game three. Javi Baez just missed a home run that would have been most incredible thing in the world. But anyway, what I remember most about that game was not the game. I do remember a double play that ended the top of the fifth where the stadium was so loud that I thought, wow, this is incredible. <laughs> I do remember that, and Justin Grimm just lost his mind, pumping his fist, and I do remember yeah. that. But what I remember most about that night, and I can hardly get through this, with telling people this without choking up, is the, two, the person to my right and the two people to my left. The person to my right was a girl, about a woman, I should say, about my age, who had brought her father to... The Cubs game as a surprise. He'd gotten tickets to the World Series as a surprise and it was super emotional for them. It was their bonding thing. It was what had bonded them as father and daughter over the years and it was remarkably pure and genuine and awesome. And then to my left, there were these two guys that were probably five years younger than me, maybe, who had gone together, gone in together, and bought season tickets somehow years and years ago and they didn't even know each other, but they did it because neither one of them could actually afford the season ticket. So they came up with this plan together, and through the years, their families had become super close, and their wives were best friends now, and their kids all played together. And during the national anthem, both of them are are, are um, kind of choking up, and because it was the Cubs World Series, first World Series game at Wrigley since 1945, and all that all that stuff. At the end of the day, it wasn't about baseball per se. It was about what baseball does to bring people together. It's the same thing that college football does. I tell people this all the time. You you don't go to college football games religiously over the years because you really care whether Ole Miss beats Vanderbilt or not. That's it's it's because of the memories that you make and the people that you see when you go and you reunite with classmates or you meet family or whatever. It's really not about because you, you love the spread offense that Auburn runs or something. I mean, it's just not. I mean, there are a few people that, like that. Like you and I might get into the war and all the specific stuff. But for the most part, when you go to a ball game, the people at the ball game are there for the experience, for the visceral part. When you watch a game on TV, there's so many people I've talked to who are like, yeah, man, I just miss the game being on in the background.
0: You know, I think about how you and I wouldn't even be having this conversation and, and have become acquainted as we are without sports
1: you know and that's no we would never have met one another probably
0: yeah so i mean that's that matters right like it's okay for us to care about that right sure (laughs) I, I i certainly hope so
1: yeah. yeah. Hey, I know you got to go. I really appreciate your time. I, I always I love your work. If it means anything to you since the pandemic, you have uh, I go to your work more now than I did during the seasons when they played. And I was on your board a lot when the on your on your site and, and reading your Twitter feed a lot when the uh, when the Cubs were playing. You are uh, you're, you're a source of kind of sanity and, and uh, grounding for me. So from me to you, thank you for your, the work that you do.
0: Well, thank you so much, Neil, and I'll say for you, for uh, the student-athletes, for the universities that depend on the revenues, I very much hope that they find a safe way to have college football this fall, because I know that that's... Um, the, the tentacles of importance for that stretch out very, very far. And I, I recognize that. And I, I do hope there's a way to safely figure it out.
1: And I've talked to college football people in the last 48 hours who are all cheering really hard for Major League Baseball to get started and, <laughs> and to create a, a, That's a true. to blaze a path. If, if there's yes. ever, the sporting world has never been more unified than it is today. Yes,
0: someone's, it is fun, Yeah, someone's got to do it. It's funny, like Major League Baseball is hoping that the nba does it first yeah, i know yeah
1: and the nba is so, hoping major league baseball goes first i know it's, exactly. it's hilarious hey thanks so much for the time best of luck to you i hope we can uh, visit again soon
0: yeah of course thanks neil
1: all right bye brett thanks again to brett taylor for his time on the show today and again thanks to dan rowan for his time also so hope you guys enjoyed today's oxford exxon podcast tomorrow barrett salee He covers college football for CBS Sports, does TV for CBS Sports HQ, and he does radio for SM, Serious XM College, I should say. So uh, Barrett's going to join us tomorrow. We're going to talk college football, what he's hearing about college football's return, how that looks, what it will look like. Uh, We'll get his thoughts. We'll talk some college football itself as well because I know a lot of people... uh, just miss talking about the actual sport not just the all the stuff that's going on from a pandemic standpoint so we'll talk to Barrett tomorrow on the Tuesday Oxford Exxon podcast until then stay safe out there take care and thank you for listening be good